Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. Good morning, everybody. So I am super excited to teach uh, on Haggai because it's a tiny book. Um, It only has two chapters. It's the second smallest book in the Old Testament, but it is so good. There's so much good stuff in there. Uh, But um, as I was thinking, well, first of all, when I was scheduled to preach in November, I had no idea I'd be preaching like during Christmas or Narnia or something like that, but that's what I feel like every time I look out the window now. Uh, But um, when I was uh, preparing this, I really, really felt like the Lord wanted me to emphasize the resurrection, which is, it's not obvious, but I do believe it's a theme in the book of Haggai. And um, oddly, not oddly, but I mean, the Lord knows everything. But in the last couple of weeks, we have had several members of our church who have dealt with uh, death of a family member, uh, either a father or a close friend who, who've been dealing with uh, the death of a family member. So I know that's kind of a downer, Uh, to start the sermon, but I just wanted to say that uh, if that's something that you've been dealing with recently or even the last couple of months, I really do think that the Lord really wants to encourage you today and give you a new perspective to help you through your grief. Uh, So as we do this, um, this wasn't planned by me, but it was pre-planned by the Lord, so I just want you to be encouraged in that. but anyways, uh, the book of Haggai, like I said, is a tiny little book in the Old Testament that most of us, uh, you know, only probably read when we're reading through a reading plan. But it is such a good book. And there are so many amazing things that the Lord says in this tiny little book. Uh, but in order for us to understand it a little bit, I want to give us a little bit of background uh, as to what was life like when Haggai was alive and what was going on. So uh, to just kind of recap Israel's history and, um, you know, what we've been doing with the reading plan, God had chosen Israel as the group of people uh, that would demonstrate to the other nations what it was like to have God in their midst, okay? And as a result of that, eventually their capital city became the central place of worship where God's temple was, where, where His presence was. And if you look at a map of Israel, Jerusalem is sort of right in the middle. Um, And the point of it was that God was in the center or was supposed to be in the center of their lives, of everything that the nation did. And the goal was for them to demonstrate to the rest of the world what life was like with God rather than on their own. The problem was that they failed at it really miserably. Um, And it wasn't just that they weren't good at it, it's that they were like extremely awfully rebellious, okay? And as, you know, especially if you've been a church kid and you grew up in church, you know that the Israelites worship idols all the time. And um, if we're honest with ourselves, it seems a lot of us probably feel that it was kind of harsh that God sent them more just because they were worshiping idols. But what we have to understand is that, I mean, obviously, breaking a relationship with God is extremely serious. But it wasn't just that they were worshiping idols. Again, I'm not trying to minimize that. But what they were doing was the worst kind possible. And it got to the point where they would offer their babies in the fire as offerings for these altars. I mean, can you imagine taking your newborn and putting them in a fireplace as an offering to an idol? That's the kind of thing that these people were doing. Like, it was serious. It was horrible, disgusting, and bad, okay? Uh, So with that, uh, God eventually did send them war and judge them and destroyed their nation and destroyed their cities and took them out of the land and turned them into slaves in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. Okay, so they had to, if we think of the Trail of Tears in the United States, 
and how awful and terrible that was, that's what the Jewish people went through. They had their own trail of tears. They had to walk after being beaten in war from, from Israel all the way to Iraq, okay? Not a nice journey to do on foot. Uh, so uh, they had been under severe punishment and anybody in their right mind would say, it's over for them. Like they, they really screwed it up, you, it's done. But actually what the prophet Jeremiah had said, he had prophesied the judgment, but he had also said in 70 years, you're gonna come back. God's gonna restore you and you're gonna come back. And um, that's exactly what happened. In 70 years, they came back, they repented, and it was exciting because the winter of Babylon that had lasted for 70 years was over. Now they were free, they were back in their land, and they were gonna rebuild everything. And that was the task that they had at hand. They, they had to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and then they went to rebuild the temple because that was the symbol that God was in their midst. Their rejection was over. It was a season of restoration. God was coming back to them and he was going to uh, build everything back up. Um, and they did, they started rebuilding the temple. But then here's what happened. Things got hard. Uh, the neighboring nations started accusing them and putting obstacles in front of them. And, you know, if you can imagine building a temple a couple thousand years ago, essentially by hand, cannot be easy, right? And it takes maybe like an entire lifetime to get something like that done. Uh, so it got hard, and it got hard, and there were opposition. There was opposition, there was trials. And then what ended up happening is that they started saying to themselves, you know what, now's not the best time to rebuild the temple. Um, it's not that building the temple is bad. We're not going to quit on that. It's just we lacked wisdom. And maybe just now is not the best time. Let's, let's just take a break and do it later, and we'll seek the Lord and figure it out later. Well, uh, that's when Haggai shows up, okay? So if we look at Haggai chapter 1, verse 2, um, Haggai says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say... The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So that was the argument. That was the prevailing thought that they all agreed on. It's just, it's not that we're not going to do it. It's just that now is not the time. Well, but here's what happened. They took a break, right? And a month turned into a year. And a year turned into two. And two years turned into 16 years. They had quit on it for 16 years. Because as we all know, life just kind of dulls you along and just carries you through, right? And 16 years later, time had passed and nothing had been done. So Haggai shows up and says, you're saying that now is not the right time to build God's house. You're saying that now is not the right time to follow through on what God told you to do because it got hard. Um, but that's not actually what the Lord is saying. That's not wisdom. What that was, was an excuse. It was a lie from the enemy that you listened to because things got hard. And that's a temptation that we all feel. When things aren't exciting anymore, when we're not feeling the spirit, when people are criticizing us, when people who committed to help us are dropping like flies, when things get difficult, we start questioning, well, did I really hear God? You know, should I really follow through in th with this? If God is on this, why is this so difficult? We all are tempted with that. And as it turned out, uh, the Israelites, they made the wrong decision. They listened to the excuse because the enemy is crafty. When he doesn't want, when he knows he can't get you to rebel, he tries to get you to trick yourself to not follow through when things get difficult. And that's what he did with them, and they fell for it. And Haggai showed up to change that. Now, um, I want to talk about seasons, okay? Um, you know, when the Israelites had come back to the land, it was like springtime. 
right? When the winter is exciting in the beginning, right? But after a while, we all get tired of it, or at least I do. Uh, I get tired of it really quick, actually. I don't like winter. But anyways, um, if spring is exciting. There's like new life. You can go outside and, and you know, springtime is, is a big, exciting time of the year. And it was for the Israelites. Things had changed, right? Uh, and they were coming back to the land. The promises were coming slowly to fruition. They could see the little buds. They were going to rebuild the temple. But what always happens after spring is summer. Now, in the American mindset, summer is very exciting. You get to go to the beach, you're off school, you go on vacation, you know, all this stuff. But biblically, if we think of an ancient Israelite farmer, summer is not fun, okay? It's maybe a little bit better than winter, but it's not a great season for an ancient farmer because the days are really long, which means you work harder and longer. It's hot, there's no AC, there are no fans, and you're working by hand out in the field in the hot sun all the time. After spring, there's always a season of hot, hard labor, right? And that's when we feel tempted to quit because it's not exciting anymore. Therefore, God must not be in it. If it's this hard, God must not be in it. But what happens is if you quit during summer, you don't get to fall. You don't get to the harvest. You don't collect the fruit of your labors because you didn't labor, right? There is no fruit without the labor. And that's what the Israelites fell for. And what actually happened, if we read all of chapter one, which I'm not gonna do, is they lost the Lord's blessing on their lives because they weren't doing what he had asked them to do. They actually, it was an intentional rebellion, but they were not walking in obedience. They were actually being disobedient. They were deceived, they weren't trying to be disobedient, but they were being disobedient. And they, lo they lost the Lord's blessing in their lives because they were not willing to labor. They were not willing to persevere through a difficult season to collect the harvest, the fruit of their labors. Now, the reason why I'm saying this is because I feel uh, as an elder here, a the baby elder at Cobblestone, that we are potentially coming into that season. This year, 2021, in my perspective, has been like spring for our church, okay? Because we had to close down because of COVID. Everybody was separated. We didn't see each other. It wasn't fun. Uh, and then even when we started, there was lots of this like start, stop, and quarantine, and the vaccine hasn't come, and there's all this stuff. It was winter, right? Uh, but then things changed in 2021. Our services are back, and I've made a list of things here that have kind of come back to life, that are springing back to life in 2021. Connect groups are back up, right? Family ministry is back up and working. Uh, the youth retreat this summer, one of the uh, other elders told me that this was the big, most attended youth retreat Cobblestone has ever had, okay? And our youth group is really big, grew a lot this fall. Um, some other things, our Bible classes, our Saturday Bible classes have been well attended, okay? And basically, there have been lots of little things budding up. It has been spring for us. I have felt excited. I have seen lots of things that the Lord has done and has been exciting to see the new direction that our church has taken. We started the year with new vision and new elders. There's lots of new things going on. It's been spring. We have gone through spring this year. And I don't think it takes a lot of wisdom and it, you don't have to be prophetic to realize that the next season, whether that's five weeks from now or five years from now, is going to be summer. There's going to be a season of hard labor where we persevere with our connect groups. We persevere with family ministry. We persevere with youth ministry. We persevere with our Bible classes. We persevere in our relationships. We persevere in reading plan, even when it's boring, even when it's hard, hot, sweaty, dull, long, laborious. 
Because if we don't persevere, we're not going to get to the harvest. And my heart for us is that we wouldn't do that. Let's not cheat ourselves out of the harvest because things aren't exciting anymore. It, do, it doesn't have to be exciting for it to be God. Obedience to God does not require that our emotions be aligned with it. We live by faith, and when our emotions align with it, awesome, but it's not going to be like that forever. So let's persevere in the things that the Lord has spoken to us. Persevere in the things that the Lord has spoken to you. Don't quit because it's dull. The road to wholehearted, wholeheartedness is overwhelming with boredom. It is like the most insane paradox. You cannot be a mature Christian if you don't know how to deal with your relationship with the Lord being boring for seasons. It's going to happen many times over. We all go through those cycles, but we must push through summer or else we won't get to the harvest. And I really feel like that's something that the Lord is speaking to us. Now, <clears throat> the good thing about Haggai, not necessarily about Haggai, but what happened in Haggai's time is that the people actually listened to him. It was like the first time they listened to a prophet, <laughs> almost. And they obeyed the voice of the Lord, and they repented, and then they went back and started rebuilding the temple. They went back to the thing that the Lord had spoken, and they started with the last thing that the Lord had spoken to them and decided to follow through on that. And then what happened is that the Lord's blessing came back on their lives. Um, now, what happened, though, as a result, is that people became discouraged again because the temple that they were building, they could see with their eyes, was really weak compared to the great temple uh, of David and Solomon. It was really weak, and they were really discouraged because it was hard work, and it didn't look that impressive. And what, it, what a situation like that makes you feel like is that, gosh, we were so awful, we were so rebellious, we had to get kicked out and become slaves so that we can come back to right thinking. And now we're here and we're trying to rebuild, but it's never going to be like it used to be. It's always going to be weaker. There's always going to be this memory of how we screwed everything up. And now what we get is the leftovers, and that's just kind of the way it is, okay? So that's what they were feeling. But then the word of the Lord comes to Haggai. So in chapter 2, Haggai chapter 2, verse 9, Haggai says, uh, is prophesying to the people a word of encouragement. And here's what he says to them. The glory of this present house, so the temple that they were building, will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Now, here's the interesting thing. That prophecy physically, like, really did get fulfilled. Because eventually, the second temple was, like, one of the ancient wonders of the world. When Jesus came around, it was, like, enormous. It was like a complex. It wasn't just a building, okay? So in that sense, that sort of became true. Um, but there's uh, an even bigger print. The point of what Haggai was trying to teach them is this. Don't worry. Sin cannot destroy something so thoroughly that God can't restore it and make it better than what it used to be when you were actually obeying Him. Okay? Because what Satan wants us to believe is that second chances are never better than the first chance. But that's not true, okay? Because that would mean that Satan would really be the victor, right? You're just sort of barely redeemed, sort of redeemed. But that's not the case. God is such the victor that when he restores something, he can make it better than it was when you were walking with him the first time. And that's what he did for them. And that's what he wants to do in the lives of all believers, okay? Now, uh, there are so many different facets that we can take this promise in our relationships and all kinds of things, okay? Finances, like God can restore every facet of our lives if we cooperate with him. If we repent, if we call what we did wrong, 
uh, and we cooperate with him, he can turn everything around. Uh, but what um, I really want to emphasize that I feel the Holy Spirit is emphasizing to us today is the idea of rebuilding God's temple itself. Okay, and that's what I want to talk about here for the rest of our sermon. So if you guys will turn with me to John chapter 2. So the Gospel of John chapter 2. And we're going to jump all over the Bible because I just can't help myself. I try to keep things simple, and this is as simple as I could keep it. Uh, so we're going to be ping-ponging all over Scripture, but I think that's a good thing. So um, John chapter 2, starting at verse 19. Uh, Jesus is he's actually in an argument with the Jewish people of his time. And he... Uh, he Anyways, he's arguing with them about the temple, and they're arguing with him, and then he says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days. But he was speaking to them about the temple of his body. Okay, so here's what Jesus is doing here. He is making a dramatic claim that they didn't get at all. Well, he is saying to them, yes, God chose Jerusalem, and he told you to build this temple here, and he wants to be in this city. But what I'm telling you, essentially is what Jesus is saying, uh, what I'm telling you is that this physical body that is before you, this human body, this is the temple of God because I am God. I made himself, I made myself into a human being so that I could be near you. And it was a claim that they weren't really getting, okay? Now, before we're too critical of them, uh, we have to be honest that we probably think the same thing. If we saw average Joe come up and say, I'm God, it'd be really hard to believe it. That would be a hard pill to swallow, okay? And it's not that it wasn't true, and it's not that Jesus' words didn't have the conviction behind them and that their hearts didn't tell them that there was something different about this guy. But if we're honest with ourselves, we probably would have a really hard time believing that. And it was probably even harder, it would be harder, I know for me, if I had grown up listening to the Old Testament. Here's why. Let's look at Exodus 19. Um, Exodus 19, verse 16. This verse, this passage here, is when God meets with the people of Israel uh, in, in Mount Sinai as a corporate nation. He's not just talking to Moses here at the moment. He's trying to talk to all of them, okay? So here's what happened that day. They were camping out by Mount Sinai, and then God showed up one day on the mountain. And this is what happened. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. How would you like to go on a summer vacation and wake up with this experience? I, I would be trembling, right? Lightning, thunder, trumpet blast coming out of the air, right? I'd be trembling. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended it on fire, in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. So if you were a Jewish kid, you were, you were read this story and said, this is what it was like when God came down to meet us. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and makes the claim, all of that that made the mountain shake, I squeezed all of that in here. I'm it. I'm, I'm the one who made the mountain shake. It was a dramatic claim that God was living in a human body, that God became a human being. I'm not sure that they thought that that could be possible. We can't explain how that's possible. We can just worship. 
that's what Christmas is all about, right? The God of Exodus 19 made himself into a, a person, like a human person, like a human being, you know? Thinking how in ancient times people probably didn't have good nutrition, like, it's crazy for me to think that maybe Jesus is shorter than me and he's God. But, like, that's real. You know what I mean? Um, and here's the thing. He was telling them, I'm the temple in this human body. I'm God. God's living in human form now. Um, and <clears throat> the interesting thing is that when Jesus makes this claim, he doesn't just say that he's the temple. He just makes the claim saying that they're going to destroy the temple. He says, destroy this temple, and I'm going to raise it up in three days. It's the same thing with Haggai. The temple was destroyed because of their sin, and here they are with a, with a walking temple in front of them, and they're going to do the same exact thing. They're going to destroy God's temple in their midst. They're going to rebel so thoroughly. Now, this time wasn't just the Jewish people. It was the Jewish people and the Romans. We're all guilty of that. And they did. And they beat him. And they crucified him. And Scripture says that he, he had, they had beat him so badly that his face didn't look human anymore. They completely and thoroughly destroyed the temple of God again. But just like the first time around, the second time around, Jesus said, I'm going to raise it up in three days. And that's what happened. If, let's turn to Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 36. The, there's all, Jesus raises from the dead on the third day. There's all this talk. This person saw him. This person saw the empty tomb. You know, there's all this mass confusion going on with the disciples. He's, he's alive, but I have a hard time believing that, but I'm so excited. So all the apostles get together, and they're in a room behind locked doors trying to figure out what's going on, and that's the context of this passage, okay? And it says this. As they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them. So he like teleported himself in the middle of the room. It's like way better than Nightcrawler if you're into X-Men like I am. Uh, and he said to them, peace to you. Naturally, because I'm sure they were shocked as I would be, as probably most of us would be, be terrified, right? Uh, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. They thought they were seeing a ghost, right? Uh, and I know I would act that way. Uh, and he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Now listen to this phrase. Touch me. Touch me. What he's saying is, I, made, I came back as a human being. It, this wasn't like a spiritual, ethereal resurrection. I made myself into a human being again. They tried to destroy the temple, but I'm back, and I'm back as a human being. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. You see, Jesus, when he raised from the dead, he has flesh and he has bones. And here's the thing, guys, he's still that way. Jesus is still a human being. God has still made himself into a human being. He's still a human being. He's on God's throne right now, and like he has knees and skin and probably hair on his legs. Like he's still a human being. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Jesus, in his resurrected body, eats food. Okay? 
He's not done being human. And we're going to see why here in just a second. But the point is, Jesus rebuilt the temple. Okay, he made a dramatic claim, I'm the temple. And you're going to destroy it like you did the first time, and I'm going to build it back up again like I did the first time. Now, the really cool thing is that Jesus didn't just make one dramatic claim in his life. He made many. <laughs> and one of them was this. He told his apostles, you're going to be a temple. So let's look at John chapter 14, verse 16. John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. He's talking about what he's going to do after he dies and he's raised to heaven. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. Listen to that word forever, we're gonna come back to it. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you. Now here's the best part, and will be in you so what he was telling these jewish boys basically you grew up hearing about exodus 19 and how god came on mount sinai well he's gonna come in you now obviously they they didn't get it if you read the story they didn't really get it uh but the point is like how can that even be that the holy spirit lives in here the reason why we can't understand that is not so that we can be like, well, whatever. Uh, it's supposed to make you worship. How does he do that? How does he fit himself in here? A God that descends on the mountain by fire and makes the whole thing quake? How does a mountain fit in here? We should, be, we should worship in awe and just, it's crazy. But it's a good crazy. It's the best kind there is. Um, now here's the thing. Sin destroys this temple. We're all going to die because of the result of sin. We're going to get weak. We're going to age. And we're all susceptible to death because of sin. But death is not the end of the story for a believer, for those who die in Christ. You guys will turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. Uh, Paul, 1 Corinthians 15 is like the premier chapter in the Bible about the resurrection. Okay? It's actually really long. Paul takes a lot of time to explain the resurrection. Okay? In verse 15, verse 42, look at what he says about what's going to happen to us. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. The first temple is perishable because of sin. But what is raised is imperishable, eternal, immortal. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Here's the thing, guys. Many of us believe that we're going to die and go to heaven and kind of be like the angels floating around with the harp singing songs, which is not a bad life, honestly, you know. Uh, but actually, that's not what's going to happen. You're going to be human forever. You're not going to be just the spirit. God created us as both spiritual and physical spiritual and natural and he hasn't given up on that plan this temple is going to die because of sin but he's going to raise it up and it dies imperishable or excuse me it dies perishable it dies with dishonor it dies in weakness but it's raised immortal it's raised in glory can you think about that the very glory of God on a human body, that's your destiny. When the Apostle John sees, I'm kind of going off here, but when the Apostle John sees 
Jesus in Revelation 1 and falls dead before him, he saw the glory of God on the human body because Jesus has a human body right now. He's never going to stop having a human body ever again. It's forever. It's eternal. And that glory, Jesus wants to share with you. That's your destiny. You're never going to stop having a human body, but the very glory of God is going to be on you. That's your destiny. You're going to be raised up immortal. You're going to be raised up in glory. You're going to be raised up in power. That's where you're going. Now, the best part is that that's not it. <laughs> God has also not given up on this planet. Again, we think we go to heaven and we stay there forever. That's actually not what the Bible says. So let's look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 19. Romans chapter 8 is like a, a treasure of promises, okay? And here's one of the promises. For the creation or nature, you could say nature, for the nature waits eagerly with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Your revealing is your resurrection. When you're revealed in immortal and in glory and in power, that's the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain, so nature itself is going to obtain or gain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When we walk into that resurrection, nature is going to come with us the planet is going to walk into that freedom. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as Son, the redemptions of our what? Our bodies. When you get your new body, Nature is going to be renewed. Okay, that's the plan. Because when sin came into the world, it doesn't just destroy human beings, it destroys the whole planet. But God didn't give up on this planet. He's going to restore the whole thing. Satan is going to have nothing in the end. He's been working really hard, and in the end, he's going to lose everything absolutely everything turn to me to revelation 21 it's like the last page of your bible because it's the second to last chapter here's the thing the goal was never for us to go to heaven and stay there forever the goal was always for heaven and earth to become the same place to the point where you can't tell them apart anymore Revelation 21, verse 2, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. See, when Jesus comes back, he doesn't come back to whisk us away. We're resurrected, and then we come down with him. And he's going to rule the whole thing. And we're going to rule with him. And he brings the city down with him. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, look, pay attention. This doesn't come naturally to your mind. You have to behold it. You have to take time. You have to meditate. So it will change the way you think and it will change the way you live. Behold, the dwelling place, or in other words, the temple, of God is with man. See, God doesn't take us up to his temple with him. He's going to bring the temple here. The city comes down here. Um, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them 
on the earth as their God. You see, the plan of redemption is to get everything back. Jesus is going to get our bodies back. Even though we, we die because of sin, we're going to be raised physically from the dead. And he's going to bring the city down here. And we're going to live here with him. This place is going to be like heaven. And when Jesus taught us to pray, that's the first thing he told us to pray for. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Where? On earth as it would be in heaven. We should be thinking about this all the time. This is our hope. This is our goal. This is where we're going. It's so awesome and it's so exciting. Heaven and earth is going to become the same place. God is going to be king fully of everything. And we're going to be like the royal family with Jesus as the head prince, as the firstborn the one who has preeminence over everything. And he is going to be human. And maybe he's shorter than me. And that's crazy to think. He bought everything back. Satan will have nothing in the end. And he's going to give us everything. Because he's that good. He's that loving. And he's that thorough. He left nothing for Satan. He bought everything back on that cross. Now, <clears throat> when I was thinking about this sermon, um, I felt several times, and this was, you know, back a while, uh, that the Lord really wanted me to share a personal testimony regarding my grandpa's death. And um, I was, in all honesty, I was feeling a little bit doubtful because I felt like it was wishful thinking because it's just, it was, it was a big deal in my life. And I've been thinking about the resurrection a lot this past year. And I was like, you know, maybe I'm just being too emotional. Like, I don't know that what the, that's really what the Lord has been saying. But then, like I said in the beginning, these last few weeks, we have had so many family members of our members of our church um, either die or just situations like that. It's just, we've been be facing a lot of death as a family. A lot of people in our body have. And I was like, okay, that was really the Lord. So I really do think I should share this testimony. So uh, I'm going to share it, actually. Both of my grandparents passed this past year. So I'm probably going to cry, but whatever. Uh, so last um, December, actually, uh, two days before my grandpa passed away, I was in the shower and I felt the Lord speak so clearly to me in my head. It was like, it was really obvious and really loud inside my mind. And he said, at the resurrection, I'm going to give you your grandparents back. And nobody's ever going to take them away from you again. And I broke down crying in the shower. And I just was on my knees crying there for a while. And then I got up and I was like, well, that was weird. And <laughs> um, I, you know, my grandpa had been sick for a really long time. He had prostate cancer, liver, not liver cancer, colon cancer. His heart was horrible. The doctor was like, you could die any second and all kinds of surgery and in and out of ICU like a yo-yo, you know. And it had gotten to the point where I was like, he's not going to die anytime soon. He just was, it's just another, another round. You know, we're back in the ICU. We'll be out in a couple of days and he'll be fine again. And that time he was in the, in the ICU because um, I'm being specific with some of these te details because just the grief of the details, like they play in our minds over and over when we have a loved one die. And I just want to encourage you with this. So that's why I'm saying all these details. M uh, my grandpa was actually on the way to a doctor's appointment and got uh, in a car accident. He wasn't driving. My aunt was driving him and uh, somebody T-boned them. And during the accident, my grandpa had a stroke. So that's how he ended up in the ICU. And honestly, I was like, well, he's going to come out. We've done this like nine times already. Uh, really, honestly, is what I was thinking. And, uh, and he did. He came out of the ICU and went home, and his speech was coming back, and everybody was excited. And then he took a nap one day, and he just didn't wake up. Uh, he went to be with the Lord. And uh, 
that was really hard. I was really shocked. I was really, really shocked. I just really did not expect it. Um, and one thing that uh, the seer has played in my mind over and over again is um, my parents were teenagers when my mom got pregnant and I grew up with my grandpa and my grandma, my mom's parents. And one memory that I have that's one of the happiest memories of my childhood is that um, my grandpa used to come up and grab my head and kiss it and smell my hair. And his last name was Vasconcelos. And he'd say, ah, the aroma of a Vasconcelos. And uh, that memory has hurt me a lot this year because it's hard to remember that. And when people say, oh, you know, your grandpa's always with you. No, he's not. He's in heaven. I don't want him to be here. <laughs> That's, I mean, we say things to like make ourselves feel better, but I'm like, don't tell me that. It's not true. He's gone. I lost him. Don't tell me that. And, um, you know, what I've realized this year is that my grandpa is going to get his body back. So will I. And that memory isn't a memory. It's actually a hope because it's going to happen again. And it's going to happen right here on the earth. And Jesus bought that for me. He didn't let me lose that memory. And guess what? He did that for you too. Our loved ones, when they die in Christ, there's really no loss. We're going to be with them for thousands of years. We're going to eat with them just like Jesus ate with his disciples. We're going to get to hug them again and kiss them again for thousands of years. You think 10, 20, 30 years of loss, we're not even going to care that that happened. There's no loss. It's just a pause. It's just a pause. And here's the thing. The glory of the second temple will be so much greater than the first. If I was, if my grandpa was able to give me so much love, being a sinful, weak, broken man, and I was able to receive so much love, being a sinful, weak, broken kid, what do you think it's going to be like when we're free and in glory? Our ability to love and receive love is going to be like an atomic bomb. This body can't contain it. We need a resurrected body to receive that. That's our hope. Jesus bought that for us. For those who live and die in Christ, there's really no loss. We lose nothing. It's just a pause. Now, a second testimony I wanted to share was about my grandma's passing. Very positive, right? Great sermon. Uh, but... Uh, my grandma, so I grew up in a charismatic background, uh, and my grandma actually had uh, healing gifts that the Lord had given her because, and we do believe here, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that he still heals people. And my grandma walked in that her whole life, actually. Uh, we had many people in our church who, who should have died, who didn't die because the Lord used her to heal them. And there were many kids in our church that were born out of women who were infertile. I, I'm sure that lots of people ended up in our church just because of her, because they got healed. And there were many kids and grandkids who shouldn't have been there that got healed and they were there. Uh, but my grandma uh, ended up with Alzheimer's in her old age. And after my grandpa died, her Alzheimer's just, it like went into fifth gear and it just took off. And her mind was gone. Uh, she had little long-term memory, uh, and her short-term memory was gone, and it was really difficult. It was very stressful and not fun at all. 
and it was hard um, because I was like, Lord, why are you letting this happen to her? And I understand that that's a selfish prayer, like not, it's okay with somebody else's grandma, but not my grandma. Uh, but it just, it felt so cruel. And we all feel that way when we see our beloved ones and we see their bodies start to decay and we see that weakness and that dishonor and the perishing of the body. It's hard, it's really hard to see your loved ones go through that. And uh, the week before my grandma died, this lady who had heard about her uh, showed up in the house because she had developed a disease that, the, that doctors could not diagnose. And she had all sorts of weird symptoms. And uh, she, had to, she lost her job because she couldn't work because she was so sick. And then her husband lost her job because of a conflict at work. And they were desperate. This woman was desperate. And they, she showed up at my grandma's house because somebody had told her that there was this lady that could pray for you and maybe you'd get healed. And I, she, apparently, from what I understand, she didn't know that my grandma had Alzheimer's and she didn't remember much. And my aunt was like, I don't think this is really gonna work. Like, you know, like, she can't, like, she won't remember you a minute later. Uh, but the woman really wanted to be prayed for, so my aunt was like, okay, but just, you know, we're gonna be real nice and patient and all this. So um, my grandma started praying for this lady, and then she forget, and then my aunt was like, hey, remember? We're praying for her because, and then she tell her the whole story again, and they went through several rounds of that, and then the woman left. And then what happened was, the woman got healed. She got her job back, and her husband, that same week, got a job that was higher paying than the first job, okay? But then here's what happened. My grandma got sick, and she ended up in the hospital, and her kidneys were really bad, and, uh, her last day, her kidneys had gotten so bad, her arms got really swollen. And I don't know, they weren't thinking, but they took a picture of her and sent it to me. And really, it looked like her arms turned into sausages. It looked awful. And my mom called me that night and said, I am praying that God would just take her because I can't bear to see her like that. And my mom was crying. She was like, it's not fair. It's not fair, it's not fair. God used her to heal so many people. Why is he doing this to her? And it wasn't good. And then my grandma passed away in her sleep that night. And uh, I'm from Brazil, my whole family's there, and I got a call at work, and I left and tried to get there for the funeral because usually they bury them in the same day. That's how they do it in Brazil. And Barely got there in time. The Uber driver got lost, and I was late for the funeral. Like, it was horrible, okay? It was, like, completely horrible. I almost missed all the planes. I was here in Cincinnati. For whatever reason, they were letting the whole airport go through one little security guard, you know? And I was, like, calling my wife. I was like, please pray. I'm going to miss the plane. And my wife prayed, and all of a sudden, four security guards show up. And I was like, praise the Lord, and I'm running. And I'm the last one in the plane, okay? It was, it was so, I, it's hilarious. But I was so stressed. I was so stressed because I didn't want to miss the funeral. And we got there, and the Uber driver took us to the other end of town. And then he started driving like crazy. And I'm like, I'm going to get in a car accident. It was just, you know, when you're in that emotional state, it's just a hot mess. And it was a hot mess. And then um, I got there, and it was an open coffin uh, funeral, and then I walked up and I saw my grandma, and I didn't realize this. They weren't able to restore her arms to make it look nice for the funeral, so they actually wrapped her arms. Uh, and my aunt found uh, a dress that my grandma liked, and I know I'm talking for a really long time, but I know that some of you guys are struggling with some of these things, and I feel like you need to hear this. Uh, my aunt got a dress with long sleeves, but the sleeves weren't able to cover the wraps. And when I saw that, it just tore me to pieces. And I went to the corner of the church, and I just cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. And then my uncle came up to me and said, we have a seat next to you, next to the, the, the open coffin. And I was just like, or the open casket, sorry. Coffin's a bad word. 
Uh, and I, uh, I, you know, sat there, and I was so, like, shocked by that that I started, like, pushing my chair back, and it was on tile, and it made, like, this loud screeching noise, and everybody was like, Ugh. I just, I couldn't do it. And when I came back here, I was like, Lord, like, I didn't need to see that. That is not the way I needed to remember her. But I've spent a lot of time in 1 Corinthians 15. And what I've learned since then is that believers, they don't really die. What it says is that they are sown in this honor, but they are raised in glory. And what I've realized is that my grandma was sown. It was her last chance to be sown in weakness so she could attain to a greater resurrection. And now, like last night, I was thinking about this sermon, and I said, thank you, God, that my grandma is going to attain to a greater resurrection. There is no loss. There's some pain there, st there still, but the Lord can heal the grief that we experience when our loved ones decay because they're going to be raised up in glory they're going to be raised up in honor, and they're going to get their bodies back, and it's going to be glorious, and we're going to be here with Jesus, and that's our hope. So in light of this, how do we live? And I'm wrapping up. 1 Corinthians 15, the last verse of that chapter, Paul tells us how we should live in light of this glory, this future, this hope that we, hit, we have. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So worship team, you can come up if you want. I'm wrapping up. Um, what Paul says is in light of this, we stay immovable, steadfast, and we don't quit working. We don't quit on the things that the Lord has spoken to us. And guess what? That's exactly what Haggai told the people about the rebuilding of the temple. Okay? Haggai chapter 2, verse 4, Haggai said, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, that's the name of their governor, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. It's the same thing that Paul said. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. When the hard season of labor comes, cobblestone, and it will come, we need to remember where we're going. And if we remember where we're going, it's not going to be that bad. Because we work with sweat and tears, and perseverance, and criticism, and trial, but we're going to obtain the resurrection. We're going to obtain the glory, and we should not quit. We cannot quit because the Lord is worthy, and the re redemption that He bought for us is worth the labor. It's worth the boredom. It's worth the criticism. It's worth the persecution. It's worth it because he's worth it. Look at what he has done for us. And I want to wrap up with Romans 8, 31. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Father, I thank you that you bought everything for us. Lord, even our human experience is going to be redeemed. This planet is going to be redeemed. And I pray, Lord, strengthen our weak knees. Lord, strengthen us. Lift us up. Help us to be steady, to be persevered, to be, to be immovable about your business, about your work. Lord, help us to persevere in prayer, in your word. Help us to persevere in our relationships and love because you are worthy. Lord, I repent for my grumbling. I repent for all the times I've wanted to quit. Lord, I repent for fantasizing about quitting and of this uh, fake situation that would be better than whatever I go through. 
And I give you glory, Lord, because our labor in you is not in vain. Help us, Lord, not to quit, but to be immovable and steadfast, to pursue you because the resurrection is coming and it's real and it's glorious and it's ours forever. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.